Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo. Welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and we have decided to start off a little early for National Cybersecurity Month, the month of October. And this National Cybersecurity Month started 15 years ago in 2003 to make sure that everyone has the safest digital life. And now we are moving into the future of blockchain and cryptocurrency, and we want you to have the safest, most secure crypto holdings that you possibly can and for that we brought on mr ray redacted which is his twitter handle for all things security this guy flies around the world securing companies governments and individuals so he's pretty much the authority on all things security so thank you ray and welcome to crypto 101 and please pay close attention because we want you to be as safe as possible but before we get into this conversation please go to crypto101podcast.com. There you can do a couple of things. Send us an email, say what's up. Think about becoming a patron. The patrons support the show when we have no ads. Thank you very much. Also, go to iTunes, rate us, leave us a comment, and subscribe. It helps us stay on top charts so people can find us better. And also, don't forget our social medias. They all play different roles. Our Facebook community is there if you ever need help. There's 4,000 people ready just to help you walk through some problems that you might have, educate you a little bit, or just have good, candid discussions about the space. Our Twitter is basically a 101 Twitter page where we update you on new episodes and, well, just give you 101s on the crypto space. And our Instagram kind of blends the both. Follow anyone you like to stay up to date with the Crypto 101 community. And now, without further ado, Mr. Ray Redacted with everything security and Twitter scams. We'll see you after the show. Ray Redacted, welcome to Crypto 101, sir. It is good to be here. We go back almost or over a year. We've been chatting on Twitter for, like I said, just about a year, back and forth. It's like I know you, man. Oh, for sure, Matthew. It, it absolutely is. And it's good to finally actually talk. <laughs> exactly. And this is a great time to talk because we are going into Cyber Security Month, which is in October. And who's a better person to have on to tell us all about security, 101, Twitter scams, and the whole nine. You're going to school me and maybe shame me a little bit. And let me and the listeners know all about security today. Absolutely. 100%. But before we go into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, Ray. Sure. So I work as a technologist at a very large global firm that handles cybersecurity for Fortune 500 companies all over the world, uh, heavily international based. I've spoken at a lot of cybersecurity conferences, including uh, some of the biggest names like Black Hat, etc. And then more recently, as somewhat of a hobby, because I've been involved in the cryptocurrency community so much, um, I've been doing a lot of talks about best practices, originally for corporations and for law enforcement, but now even for individuals on how to protect themselves from online scams, uh, hackers, and and all kinds of malware that's out there. Right on, right on. And you're in the States right now? Correct. I just got back to the United States yesterday, but I spend about probably about 40% of my time in Europe or Asia. Oh, right on, right on. So you, you're always doing the, the same thing that I'm doing right now, jet lagging. For sure, 100%. <laughs> Ray, we're going to go through the basics, like I said. But first, got to get me up to speed on some of this terminology. You have some things written, some words written. You sent me an outline, OPSEC, PERSEC, InfoSec, and all kinds <laughs> of other words. Can you please tell me if I'm even one pronouncing them right? And can we go through the definitions? Sure. So uh, those terms are uh, OPSEC, PERSEC, and InfoSec. And they actually date all the way back to wartime propaganda and a lot of the military processes around uh, secrecy and around keeping secrets. And the one you hear the most is probably OPSEC. OPSEC is used very widely to refer to certain behaviors that do not give away things about, for example, uh, which cryptocurrencies you hold 
and especially how many of them you hold, right? Those are certain practices that you do not want to do. So for example, very poor OPSEC would be writing your password on a piece of tape and taping it to your keyboard, right? That's very, very poor operational security. But one of the areas that is also sometimes confused with OPSEC, and it could be considered somewhat of a subset of OPSEC in some ways, is PERSEC. And that really is divulging personal information about yourself that can then be used by an adversary in order to try to hack you. So for example, if a really, really attractive woman pops up on Twitter in your DMs and starts chatting you up and she really wants to know what high school you went to or what your mother's maiden name was, okay, or what your birthday is, mm. the chances are pretty high that that's someone trying to build a profile so that they could possibly reset your passwords, right? Mm. So good OPSEC would be not getting into conversations with complete strangers about personal information. Good PERSEC would be not divulging any personal information on public tweets or on Facebook that could then be used against you. Then the uh, the third one, which is InfoSec, is really around information security, and that is just sort of the umbrella term for protecting things such as your private keys. And this might surprise you a little bit, but I also consider your public keys to be something that you should protect as well, even though you will see millions of examples of people posting their public keys because of contests, etc., Remember that the blockchain is immutable. <laughs> so if somebody knows your addresses, they can also find out quite a bit of things about you on the, on the blockchain as well, right? Understanding transaction histories, uh, depending on what the coins are, et cetera. So when we talk about good OPSEC, good InfoSec, and good PERSEC, the way to remember this in your head is just to always practice safe sex because the SEC <laughs> apostrophe S, right? <laughs> And it's extremely important to, pr to practice all three of those because we are in an environment in the cryptocurrency world where it is not just a hostile environment. It's a very dangerous hostile environment. And Matthew, the reason for this is because uh, I know you're in Singapore, but I'm in the United States, for example. If somebody steals your credit card numbers, you're really not liable for that here. You might be liable for 50 bucks if, you, if you're not in the proper uh, type of card, but generally, if there's a bunch of fraudulent charges on your card, you don't have to pay those, right? Similarly, if somebody guesses your bank password, it's very, very difficult for them to wire money out or to go to an ATM and take money out, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But if someone has your private keys, it's gone, right? There's right. really no recourse. And if you're just now starting on a cryptocurrency, you may not understand the fact that whoever holds the key holds the asset, period. That is the end-all, be-all. And we're going to talk about online exchanges in a little bit. But in general, if you don't own the key, you don't own the asset. And if you share the key, you are sharing the asset in a way that it can be immutably taken away from you. So you cannot go to the local police and the FBI and say, I accidentally transferred these Ethereum tokens to someone. Okay, I mean, you could do that, but the chances of you getting it back are very, very, very slim. And the chances of them taking it seriously are slim as well. So those are the, those are the InfoSec, OpSec, and PerSec. And when you do all three of those, okay, when you practice good all three of those, that's referred to as having good cyber hygiene, okay? And the term <laughs> hygiene is a little bit weird, a little bit weird, right? Because it means practices that keep you healthy, okay? Right. And the subsets of cyber hygiene are having good password hygiene, which means that they need to be very hard to guess, extremely important that they're always unique, and you also need to change them over time. Okay, And we're going to talk about why that's important in just a second. But the biggest and most important one around password hygiene is having unique ones. The overwhelming majority of people out there are still reusing passwords. It is the number one biggest problem we have when it comes to vulnerabilities because if somebody is breached and the passwords are leaked, there are scripts and script kitties, which is the, the nickname for people that run, just basically run these scripts, mm -hmm. that will try those passwords against all other sites. So if they have your Yahoo password, which the entire Yahoo was breached you know, several years ago, right. if you're still using that on Coinbase, it is extremely, extremely likely that someone's going to try that. Right. So I have a question before we go to that. Let's just say, and let's use our class example, Johnny. Let's just say Johnny is a 
public, more public kind of figure. Maybe he's a podcaster. Maybe he has some Twitter followers. Maybe <laughs> everybody knows Johnny is into crypto. He talks about crypto all the time. And people ask him questions about crypto. It's very easy for you to find out information about, uh, about Johnny. What are some steps for Johnny to have good cyber hygiene? Okay, so let me tell Johnny, or let me just pretend like Johnny was you, just for the purposes of this discussion. I know that that's not what you were implying. No, of course, absolutely not. Number one, the best thing he can do is have a unique password and a unique username, okay, a unique username for every crypto site, every bank site, every email site, every social media site. And I know that sounds crazy because usually your username is your email address, but I'm going to teach you a trick right now that will let you have unique email addresses to each and every one. So if you are a Gmail user, okay, if you are johnny at crypto101.com, Gmail will let you put in as your email address johnny plus Binance at crypto101.com, and it will still go to Johnny, okay? Mm. Anything after the plus, they ignore, right? Now, I'm not saying you should necessarily put plus and the domain name, right? Right. But you could have a pattern where you put plus and the last letter of the domain name or whatever else. And then you can filter those in your Gmail. If you have a personal domain and you're not using Gmail, most personal domains allow email aliases. So you could still do the same thing with or without the plus. If you cannot do either one of those from a username standpoint, then you can still generate unique usernames because you can go by a generated names such as Johnny C 1984 or whatever else that is rather than using your email addresses. Right. But that is that pales in comparison to the number one most important thing that Johnny can do to protect himself in email and social media and especially in crypto assets. And that is multi-factor authentication everywhere. So multi-factor authentication means you have to have something you know as well as something you either have or and you could prove that you physically have that object on your presence. Okay. So I want to preface this by saying that a lot of banks, especially in the USA, consider SMS, the short message service over the phones, to be a good appropriate second factor for multi-factor authentication. I'm here to tell you it's completely not okay to use SMS. Mm -hmm. It is an extremely vulnerable protocol. We've seen some massive crypto thefts this year based on people doing SIM swapping scams. So your multi-factor needs to be either a hardware token, like a YubiKey, which is Y-U-B-I-K-E-Y, or better yet, an actual program that runs uh, on, your, on your mobile device or on your laptop or even both, okay, uh, that generates a, a, a six-digit or eight-digit number every time you log in. And what, the way you're actually going to use that is this. Uh, when you go to your cryptocurrency websites, you're going to put in a unique username, you're going to put in a completely unique password, and then it's going to ask you for that additional factor. So it may ask you for that six-digit number, and you are going to get that from either Google Authenticator or my personal favorite, which is Authy, A-U-T-H-Y. But there's a bunch of different ways you can generate that multi-factor. Now, the reason that I like Authy is because I have an old Android phone with Authy installed that will never, ever, ever be on the internet again. It's locked in a vault, really, really deep offsite. But if for some reason I were to ever lose all other means of generating a token, rather than be locked out, I still have a token of last resort because Authy will continue to run on that Android phone, even if it hasn't been plugged in for years, okay? And certainly if it's not on the internet for years. And it's just yet another way. You can do that on Apple Watches as well. So because Authy supports multiple machines uh, at once generating the tokens, uh, that's why I actually prefer that one. So okay. the two things that Johnny can do is, number one, unique usernames, unique passwords, and also multi-factor authentication. And this is really important, really important, Johnny. I'm sorry, really important, Matthew. You have to put multi-factor on everything. You cannot just put multi-factor on Binance or on right. Coinbase. It needs to be on everything. And that usually scares people because they're like, well, that sounds like a pain. But Coinbase is smart enough and Gmail is smart enough that it will only force you to use that token if it looks fishy. If you're suddenly coming from a Chinese IP address or if you misguess your password, it always reserves the right. Even Amazon does this to force you to use that second token, like the second token that's out there. Now, the reason that you want to use multi-factor on every single site, and if a site doesn't support it, you gotta fire them, 
is because you don't ever, you want to always know that that's the legitimate site. If somebody is spoofing a site, like we saw last year with my Ether wallet, and they're doing a redirect that looks 100% legit, okay, you're going to put in your username and password. And if it's not asking you for multi-factor, that's a huge red flag, especially right. if it's a site that always does, right? right? And if you're super paranoid, let's say you're at a conference, you can even intentionally put in a bad token the first time just to see how it gives you an error message. Hmm. Because the bad guys, if they're doing a man-in-the-middle attack, are not necessarily going to know exactly what the error message is supposed to be if they're spoofing that front end. So if right. I'm, for example, on a VPN tunnel or something remotely, I'll actually accidentally, quote-unquote, accidentally put in uh, the wrong numbers just to see what happens to that site. So those are the things you can do. Unique usernames, unique passwords and non-SMS multi-factor authentication. I want to get back to this terminology because there's a little bit more on your list, but you brought up being at conferences, and I saw Crypto Bobby tweet this the other day. He was in a conference, and he said he saw somebody on his Coinbase Pro on the conference's Wi-Fi. Is that a bad thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> well, in the InfoSec world, we have a big uh, hacker conference that we go to every year called DEFCON, and it's not... DevCon, the, the Ethereum developer conference, it's DEFCON, D-E-F-C-O-N, that's in Vegas every year right after Black Hat. Mm -hmm. And at DEFCON, they have something called the Wall of Sheep. The Wall of Sheep shows you real-time usernames and passwords that are flying through the Wi-Fi unencrypted Stop. in order to basically shame people, right? It's, it's an absolutely hilarious thing because this is a hacker conference, right? It is trivial for a young 13-year-old unsophisticated kid to spoof a Wi-Fi access point in a hotel or in a Starbucks. It's trivial, okay? And in order to spoof the certificates, that also, it's a little bit more advanced, but even that can be done in a way, in many cases, where people will click past the certificate warning because they just assume, hey, I just jumped on the Starbucks Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. When you are at a hacker or a cryptocurrency conference, you are an attractive target because adversaries know, okay, if there's 10,000 people at this blockchain conference, 9,000 of them hold crypto assets. <laughs> 1,000 of them are probably not using multi-factor. 100 of them are going to be broadcasting their username and passwords in the clear on a redirect, okay? But they only need one person that they can get a hold of the private keys for. One. So the math is overwhelmingly the fact that you should be as suspicious at any cryptocurrency conference you go to because you can get these little devices called Wi-Fi pineapples or you can just get two Ethernet uh, or Wi-Fi NICs and it's very, very easy to do what's called a man-in-the-middle attack where you can grab usernames and passwords at will. I mean, it's right. shocking how easy it is. And I'm not going to tell your users to go look this up on YouTube because I would never encourage anyone to even investigate how to break the law. But if you were to type in how to spoof an access point into YouTube, you're gonna get like 600 hits. And some of them are like 12 year old kids showing how to do it at their schools, right? Because they really wanna you know, <laughs> grab their teacher's usernames. So yes, you should absolutely be on your best guard when you are at cryptocurrency conferences or the cryptocurrency cruise, okay, that's another really attractive target, or anytime you're within 500 meters of John McAfee, or anytime mm. that you're around people <laughs> that are very wealthy, just be paranoid all the time. I, I saw your back and forth with McAfee today, by the way. I was giving him a little bit of a lecture about he lost some private keys yet again, and I thought he was the... Uh, this is uh, his quote, thing. This is what he does. But he tweeted that he, he said, he quoted, pardon my language, I fucking invented cybersecurity. And 24 hours later, he said, we've been hacked. So which, which, way, which one is it, John? I'm, and, I challenge you. And then you. I think in the but, tweet that you were going back and forth with him in was he said that you, we did our due diligence to check the people who built the app. But sometimes that due diligence fails or something like that. He said, this is a very tough industry. Oh, you got to plug my Twitter handle. I'm at Ray Redacted on Twitter if you're interested in seeing this, uh, this <laughs> exchange with, uh, with him. But yeah, so he said it's a tough industry. And I'm like, yeah, but last week on the BitFi, com uh, the BitFi controversy was where he said a hardware wallet was completely unhackable. So he, he, some people were attacking him and he said, you know, basically go away. I invented cybersecurity, which, you know, I think uh, there's some uh, folks out there that might take exception to that notion. That's hilarious. All right. So we have a couple more words on the terminology. You have patch air gap hygiene, zero trust models, key loggers, targeted malware, and phishing. What does all this mean, man? Okay, so we talked about password hygiene, right? Yes, we... Similarly, patch hygiene is the notion 
that you need to keep your operating system, your programs, and especially your cryptocurrency wallets patched all the time. So 10 years ago, if we logged into Windows XP... So that means up to date or... To date, up to date, keep them patched, keep all of the latest patches that are out there because okay. in many cases, uh, exploits will be based on something called a zero day. Okay, zero day meaning that researchers have only known about it for zero days. Like it was basically unpatched until today. Uh, and in general, in many cases, uh, in some of the more recent ransomware attacks, et cetera, they were based on things that there were patches available for that people just hadn't patched their Microsoft for. So Eternal Blue is one of those examples that ended up uh, being the WannaCry ransomware. Microsoft had actually issued a patch 36 days before, but because people are either procrastinating or they're lazy or they're in environments where they can't patch for whatever reasons, there was still a ton of machines that were unpatched. So good patch hygiene means always keeping those up to date. And if you use a Ledger wallet or if you use a Trezor or if you use any type of hardware wallet, when that program pops up and says, I have a new version, you need to always, always, always go ahead and update because may not be a huge exploit, may just be almost an inconvenient bug, but you want to make sure that you keep those up to date. And that also includes your antivirus software, your firewalls, your uh, every piece of equipment that can be patched should be kept up to date. And then air gap hygiene is the notion that you have either a machine like the cell phone I was describing before that had the extra copy of Authy, okay? Mm -hmm or a ledger wallet, or even a laptop that you only use for crypto trading, okay? When you just make the decision to air gap something, meaning you're gonna put a gap of air between it and the internet, or a gap of air between it and any other computer, mm -hmm. you need to make certain that you remember and, and, and practice the hygiene around that. So for example, if you have a machine that you're gonna call my little hodler, okay, my little hodler, whatever, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a Windows machine that has nothing on it at all, but just your crypto assets and, and, and basically you just use it for trading, mm -hmm. you can't let your kids come install a bunch of games on there, okay? okay? You can't let, you can't intermingle a whole bunch because you're increasing your attack surface uh, by breaking that air gap, okay? And that also has to do with application hygiene too, never install things that aren't trusted. But even in some cases, we've seen things where even trusted locations could be compromised. And so if you have something that's air-gapped, especially a hardware wallet, you do not want it to be on the internet unless it absolutely has to be. So don't leave that sitting in a USB slot. Certainly don't leave it on the internet all the time. Now, when we talk about all of this, one of the things to keep in mind is something called a zero trust model. And what okay. the zero trust model really means for Crypto 101 users is don't trust anybody. Okay, and this is such a beautiful part of Bitcoin and the decentralization story anyway. But in general, you shouldn't trust anyone. And that means you shouldn't trust your best friends. It means you shouldn't trust online exchanges. And it even means you shouldn't trust yourself. Okay, you shouldn't even trust yourself to, for example, memorize your key phrases that will generate new keys, right? You shouldn't trust yourself not to be uh, kidnapped and hit over the head with a wrench to give up certain passwords, etc. And because the, the zero trust model is the such that as if you never, ever trust anyone, you're never going to get burned by them. And the biggest example we have of this is our online exchanges. The vast majority of Americans that hold crypto assets are still leaving them on Coinbase or Coinbase Pro or Gemini or Binance or wherever else. When you do that, when you give custodial rights to that exchange, okay, you are now trusting them. And it is not a matter of will they be hacked. It is a matter of when will they be hacked. Mm. And we should learn this from Mt. Gox, right? Mm -hmm. Because all, the vast majority of people got burned on that one. But online exchanges will eventually all be hacked, at least in some way, because the temptation for employees inside the company to collude with cyber criminals outside the company or for there to be software bugs or vulnerabilities, the risk-reward ratio is so insanely in favor of the cyber criminals that unless you're locally holding those assets, you're, you're really not in a zero-trust model. You're, you're giving away all the custodial rights to that. Right. Now, one exception is, of course, if you're trading in and out, you're going to have to put some assets into the accounts to trade in and out, right? The real answer might be decentralized exchanges. That, that, that remains to be seen if that's ultimately where we're going to be. But because of the fact that so many of these online exchanges are offshore, okay, and in places that are not necessarily regulated by governments or whatever else, and they're not even necessarily extraditable 
are seizable, right? You want to make sure that you're locally controlling those keys uh, everywhere. All right. I forgot the last one. Okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot what the next one was. Oh, yeah. We're talking about keyloggers. Keyloggers. Okay. In targeted malware and phishing. Okay. So in the early 90s, people used to dial into something called America Online. Oh, yeah. And the most successful social engineering attacks, and we'll talk about what that means in just a second, was to pop onto their screen and ask them for their password. And that became known as phishing with a P-H-I-S-I-N-G. And the P-H is a little bit of a pun on the word phone, right? Because it was freakers that were doing it, again, with the P-H. Um, but it was a type of social engineering where you use human psychology to get people to give you information that you're not supposed to have. Hmm. So, for example, if they called you up and said, hey, this is Comcast. I'm, I need to reset your modem. What's your username and password? A shockingly high number of people would just give up their usernames and passwords. Hmm. What we see today is actually something called whale phishing or targeted phishing, where the person that sends you this fake email, okay, that says you've been compromised, already has a, a significant amount of information on you. So they either can pretend to be Binance or can pretend to be Coinbase. Uh, the email looks 100% legitimate. The headers even might look legitimate. The, the graphics look legitimate. There's no misspellings, right? They might even know your account number for some reason, right? Now, if you had taken my advice on a unique email address, they're probably not going to have that, which would be a big, huge red flag, right? Because you're, you, you were using a, a unique email address for that uh, account. But you will get phishing emails. And one of the objectives for phishing is to either capture your credentials to install a keylogger, which is a program that logs every keystroke that you make, usernames and passwords, credentials as well, or to actually put malware on the computer so that they can either do remote control, key capture, and oh, more wow. importantly, the machine in as, a, as another place to, to launch attacks. So when we talk about overall hygiene, it's important to know the types of attacks that are coming in and the way that they actually do this. But it's also kind of important to know that when we think about our adversaries online, there's a wide continuum of, of adversary types. And most people, when they think about hackers, they think about, okay, I'm in my house and I need to protect my house from somebody breaking into my house with a crowbar and, and stealing my, my jewelry, right? Mm -hmm. In reality, it's not just that. When we talk about cyber protection, you also are protecting your house from termites, okay, which is a very different type of protection than protecting your house from a crowbar, a guy with a crowbar. Mm. You're also protecting your house from the military, okay? Think about that for a second, because nation states are now engaging in stealing crypto assets, especially mm. North Korea, but a lot of other nation states do it as well. And so there's this entire continuum. At the very, very bottom is the script kiddies, the unsophisticated attackers. Moving up the stack, we see more sophisticated like cyber criminal gangs, usually operating in countries that do not extradite to the United States. So typically they're in Eastern Europe, or, or at least they appear to be based in Eastern Europe. Then you get into the much higher end professional hackers. And this is where you see things like uh, smart contract hacks, okay, so where, where they're actually finding major vulnerabilities. Uh, and then you get into the realm of nation states where you see things like entire exchanges being breached, right? Mm. That's a much, much higher level of sophistication. And when you're guarding your crypto assets, you have to keep in mind that you're defending yourself from all of the above. You have to, you have to, you have to protect yourself from the really unsophisticated to the really super sophisticated. And that's why hygiene is so important. Hey everyone, this is a good point to take the seventh inning stretch on our episode of security to let you know about our anniversary episode. Crypto 101 put out 156 episodes, and we wanted to do a mashup of some of the highlights so you can walk down memory lane with us to see where we were, to see where we are, and to see where we're going. And we also wanted to say thank you very much for listening and supporting Crypto 101 over 156 episodes. Now, back to our show. First, thank you very much for all of that. I am jotting notes as fast as you're talking. You, you actually mentioned a couple of things in there that I really wanted to touch on. First is you have the script kiddies, like you said. You have your cyber criminal gangs. You have professional hackers. But what is this nation state attacks that you just mentioned? You said North Korea. And then you have like, we have things like smart contracts. We have cryptocurrency and stuff like that. So 
these are supposed to be secure, but there are ways to hack that as well. Well, sure. So in in 2013, the government of Iran was attacked by an extremely sophisticated piece of malware. It was a worm and a virus called Stuxnet that was designed to basically set their Iranian nuclear enrichment facilities, uh, three of their facilities, offline uh, for many years. There's a fantastic movie uh, out there called Zero Day, or I'm sorry, called Zero Hour, uh, that really explains how this was done. But ultimately, this was an attack done by two nation states, and I'm not going to identify them because even though it is public, it's technically still classified. But after that moment in 2013, every major nation in the world started developing offensive capabilities where they could actually attack each other's power grids, attack mm. each other's what's called SCADA systems, attack each other's banks, right? SCADA and systems? Yeah, that's basically a really fancy way of saying industrial control systems, right? Okay. So that's actually talking about things that control our dams and our electrical outlets and gas lines and all this really scary stuff. And actually, the Stuxnet attack was an attack on an industrial control system. It was a very, very specific type of an attack. It was the first time we'd ever seen air gaps being hopped. Okay, Prior to that, we didn't realize that people could do that. It was polymorphic, meaning it rewrote itself. It was multi-platform. It ran on Windows as well as Siemens PLCs. It was a really, really, really sophisticated piece of malware. The problem is, is it got out and it spread out the world. It didn't do things. Okay, Prior to this, it was the realm of really one, maybe two countries. Well, since then, every country has developed offensive capabilities. And the one that matters to your listeners the most is that there are countries out there that are under severe economic sanctions right now, meaning that they cannot trade freely in and out uh, with the rest of the world, okay? And when you outlaw a regime, okay, and you force people to, to, to try to generate money otherwise, mm-hmm. they do things like counterfeiting currency, right. counterfeiting drugs, mm-hmm. and now either mining or stealing cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the Lazarus Group, which is North Korea's offensive military unit, they are doing both. They're both mining cryptocurrency, but they've also figured out that for much less electricity, rather than just mining it, you, just steal it. you can just steal it. You can steal it from South Korea, you could steal it from the insanely insecure SWIFT network. That's the banking network that is written in the Carter administration. And we all know how creaky. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply and slow it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can steal it from online exchanges. And a lot of these massive breaches that we see are uh, governments or regimes or nation state groups that 
uh, are basically without without any thought whatsoever of legality stealing cryptocurrency and they're doing it via phishing they're doing it via backdoors they're doing it via compromised insiders that work at those companies but whenever you see something like a 20 million dollars was stolen overnight the chances are pretty high that it was a nation state behind it you gave us we'll say johnny a lot of steps to protect themselves but it seems that there is something that is pretty apparent you said exchanges, you people said people are colluding inside exchanges. You said that there's nation states attacking exchanges. But for every exchange, I have to do KYC. I have to give them my name, my password, <laughs> or, I'm sorry, my information, my, my home address, my mother's maiden name. They have my bank information. Isn't that a security risk? Oh, it absolutely is. And I'll, I will tell you uh, this. There's actually something that I call the KYC paradox that I don't know that anyone else is starting to use this term yet, but I I, I freely give it to the world if anybody wants to. And what that is, is if you are new to cryptocurrency, your most likely path into buying, uh, let's say, altcoins, let's say some of the coins that are not necessarily just Bitcoin, is most people start with Coinbase, right? Let's, 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 let's face it. It's the easiest one for most people, at least in, in North America and Western Europe, mm-hmm. to kind of onboard into crypto, right? So you start off with Coinbase, and you very quickly realize that if you want to do large transfers or if you want to be able to trade ma- uh, larger amounts – you need to give them your passport, your bank account, your social security number, right. uh, identifying documents, sometimes even a selfie holding a paper or something. <laughs> and what most people do is they do that first one without even thinking about it, right? Okay, so I gave it to Coinbase. It's a San Francisco company. They're, they're, they're FDI insured, at least for the, the fiat money they hold, and they got a board of directors, right? The problem is, is within weeks, that same Johnny or Jane, right, that's now trading cryptocurrency, has now decided that they're going to branch out. And so now they're looking at Binance, or now they're looking at Cryptopia, or now they're looking at these other exchanges. And before he knows it, he's now joined five or six online exchanges. Okay, these are centralized custodial exchanges, by the way. And because of our know your customer anti-money laundering rules, most of them have asked him for all of that same documentation over and over again. So he's now given out his bank account, his social security number, a photo of his freaking passport to places in Czechoslovakia, in China, in Hong Kong, in Taiwan. And several of these servers, you have absolutely no idea what they're doing to protect that data. Okay. So mm-hmm. now we're now, we, he's now sent his very sensitive, personally identifiable information to a whole bunch of countries, right? Now, the paradox is this. It's good to have diversity amongst exchanges. You don't want everything to be just purely concentrated into one because it it, it raises your exposure. But the challenge is, is that if we assume that every exchange will get hacked and 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 every exchange will eventually get hacked, it's it's on an infinite timeline, everything faces mortality, right? Then we've now basically geometrically increased our attack surface area. And if that exchange is hacked, the chances of them stealing your documents is also very, very, very high. And guess what? Once they've got those documents, they can basically impersonate you on any other crypto exchange site. Okay, they can impersonate you on Twitter. They can impersonate you on a bank, to a bank, right? If they do the documents correctly. So we have to be really careful about who we're sharing our PII with. And that sometimes is in conflict with KYC AML. Now, the answer to all of this is decentralized exchanges because when you go through decentralized exchanges, so far up to now, you haven't had to go through the KYC AML stuff. Now, whether that's gonna remain that way or not is truly remains to be seen. But for now, if you really care about your privacy, then you really wanna look at DSEXs. You bring up a lot of good points there, but I'm trying to find a solution to this because I like to trade crypto. Everybody in this space or listening to this show is probably on Coinbase, probably has Binance, Bittrex, and they've already done the KYC. And if they want to maybe get some of those, you know, kind of obscure altcoins that you only can get on Cryptopia, you're you're going to have to do the process again. And of course, everybody's looking for moons and Lambos. So they're going to do that KYC because they think, hey, I'm going to move that million dollars of Bitcoin out and buy that Lambo sooner or later if I hodl long enough. So what do I do? But that's the other thing. If you think about being a newbie and you just joined, uh, let's just say Cryptopia, because let's just pick on them, because it originally was basically a bunch of guys that had formed their own server to trade amongst themselves. They were were never really (laughs) intending but if you think about that, two bad things can happen to Johnny, okay? The first one, and this happened to Binance last year, 
is he goes to type in Binance in his web browser URL and he mistypes one character, okay? He just mistypes the I, he accidentally hits a U, okay? And the second he types in Boonance, it gets redirected to another site that looks exactly like Binance. Even the I is changed to an I, but it's a Romanoff alphabet I, so it's got two dots or a dot underneath it or something, right? And now it's harvesting his username and password for Binance. Just like that, it's just happened, okay? Well, most people, when they start going down that path, they always have that moment. We call it the pucker moment. When you transfer a whole bunch of Bitcoin from one exchange to another, and you're just sweating the confirmations, right? It's much, less, it's much less pucker on Ethereum, and it's zero pucker if you're using XRP. But I know XRP isn't a real popular topic, so I'm not going to talk about that one. But, and but so Bitcoin much pu pucker with BTC. Oh, man. Because you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And if something <laughs> bad happens, by the way, if something bad happens and you try to reach out to one of these exchanges, you may as well be screaming into a garbage bag on the side of the Grand Canyon because you're not going to get a response. They've learned over time if they respond to every pucker call, then all they're ever going to do is respond to pucker calls, mm -hmm. right? They would just better wait it out. And in some cases, during the height of the, the uh, insanity last year, <laughs> it was seven, eight days. People are on Reddit screaming, I've been looking for this for seven or eight days and it's my entire savings and all this other stuff, right? Yep. So because of that, criminals take advantage of that too. So for example, if you go to Cryptopia in their little pump and dump chat window, I'm sorry, their chat window, okay, their chat window, <laughs> just say, I haven't gotten my transfer, they will swarm on you like a pack of wolves and say, oh, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. Hey, I'm gonna need your private key, okay? Hey, I'm gonna need your address, I'm gonna need this. Use this uh, program called LogMeIn and let me, let me have access to your computer for a second. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how much that will happen, right? And newbies and people that are relatively new to the world need to be aware of the fact that that is, that is definitely something to watch out for. A zero trust model, you're never gonna give that away to anyone, even if they pretend like they're support, even if they look like they're Coinbase, you're not gonna do that, right? So, but the real answer is this, okay? This is what Johnny needs to do. First of all, he needs to go to school on the mistakes of others. Just like you would never attempt to learn hang gliding by getting on a mountain and throwing yourself off of it, right? You need to go to school learning from what other people have made mistakes in, right? The, uh, with regards to OPSEC and everything else. Uh, and then always proceed with extreme caution as if this is the trade that you could lose uh, basically in, in transit. So with that in mind, let's say that you do want to go buy some deep, deep, deep shit coins, okay? We're talking coins that are only listed on one exchange or two exchanges, mm -hmm. okay? You don't necessarily want to go the ICO route because come on, man, it's 2018. Let's just go buy them for 50% off the ICO uh, rates. The best way to do that is to actually set aside a small fraction of either BTC or preferably ETH, okay? And if you're into BCH, that's a whole nother podcast. It's on a totally different channel. And then basically <laughs> take that ETH aside and say, I'm going to send this one ETH to Cryptopia and I'm going to be willing to lose it, okay? I'm willing to actually say goodbye to it forever just so I can get familiar with the process around that, okay? Mm -hmm. And just so I can get familiar with how long it takes um, and get really familiar with it without going all in because human greed causes us to believe, oh, we've hit bottom, we've hit bottom, we've hit bottom. But mathematically, we've never really hit bottom. You're only going to hit bottom one time and from now until eternity, right? And the chances are it's probably not right this second. Right. So dabble in it a little bit get used to it. And then actually, because I brought up the G word, be aware of the fact that greed is your number one vulnerability. And that brings us to Twitter scams, which is the topic of what we wanted to talk about tonight, by the way. It is. And Twitter scams operate 100% on greed. Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or the Pope or the president of the United States says, I'm giving away 10,000 ETH, send me 0.1 ETH. Right. That's the, that's the scam. Yep. The scam is send me a little bit okay, and I'll send you 10. And human greed makes us jump all over this. And this is an old scam. It's extremely old. It goes back all the way to something called the Spanish prisoner scam, hmm. the pigeon scam. Uh, occasionally you hear it called 419 scams because that's the criminal code in Nigeria that refers to these online emails. But the way the scam works is this. I appeal to your greed. I make you feel like you're doing something dirty, okay, or very, very lucky, and then I also make you feel like you have to do it right now. Act right now. If you don't move right this second, if I don't put urgency on it, 
then it's very difficult for me to get you right, they to want do the that. Impulse, right. And by the way, these scams are insanely successful. The reason you see them everywhere, okay, is because they're extremely successful. There was recently an interview with one of the scammers, and they were asking him, "Why don't you guys hack the verified accounts anymore? Because I can hack the, you know, a, a verified account, change its username and its picture to look like Elon Musk, and doesn't that do more successful?" And the scammer actually said. Oh my God, no! We we we're we're getting so much money input, we we can't even keep up with what we're getting so far. We we have to tumble it all, you know, all over the place. So we're too busy. Really? We don't even there with that. And I'll give you the link, by the way, so you can put it in the in the uh, the description. The, yeah, absolutely. Fascinating interview because he he really talks you through how he does it with the bots and everything else that's out there. But the way that that actually works is that so you look at Twitter and you see. Tons and tons of giveaways, okay. Tons and tons of scams. Tons and tons of airdrops, okay. The word airdrop itself is such a dangerous path for, uh, basically, for the Spanish prisoner scam or for the scam that we're just talking about, mm -hmm. because people get very greedy. Airdrop is by its definition when you get something for free, right? Right. And so people say, "Oh, we're doing a huge airdrop. We're airdropping a million stellar tonight. All we need is we're simply going to need to know." Uh, you know where you are on the blockchain. So of course I'm going to need your private key, right? Obviously, <laughs> or or your password to um, you know GitHub or whatever it is, right? right? And people fall for that all the time too. And so you, when you are thinking about I might be scammed, there's two things to think about. Number one is is this appealing to my greed and to my sense of urgency? Those should set off alarm bells every time. Because any legitimate offer will still be around in 24 hours. Any legitimate, any illegitimate offer, they always want you to act, you know, right this, absolutely right this second. And what ultimately it really comes down to is this. Twitter is such a target-rich environment, just like that conference is, that if a criminal can infiltrate crypto Twitter, okay, mm -hmm. that is the definition of something called a watering hole attack. And a watering hole attack refers to the fact that if you really want to kill predators, like in Africa, for example, the best way, place to hunt them is the watering hole, because you know they're going to come there. They're going to come there looking for prey, and they're going to come there looking for water, etc. Right. Well, Twitter itself, the crypto Twitter, is literally... A, a hunting ground uh, from a watering hole standpoint. So you should always be very, very skeptical of, of anything in crypto Twitter, certainly anything on Slack or Discord or Telegram uh, around anything crypto related, because those are target rich environments for the criminals. There are a couple more Twitter scams on your list here. You have whale phishing attacks, BGP redirects and typo squatting. What are all these? Last year, we saw an extremely sophisticated attack uh, and I'm not picking on my Ether wallet because it really wasn't their fault. But the adversaries actually redirected the legitimate DNS for my Ether wallet to a Russian fake version of my Ether wallet using a BGP hijack. Okay, that's a that's a border gateway protocol hijack and using domain name system. So basically, even if you typed in the right address, it would take you to the fake impersonator site. Now, my Ether wallet, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, has like seven things you have to click through to help to try to help you prevent. Um, <laughs> yes. Phishing, right? Okay. Yep. And because they've conditioned everyone to click, 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 when people were being redirected to the fake one. There was a warning dialogue that popped up on the screen, but the hackers were smart enough to make the warning dialogue look a little bit like those things that people are so used to click, 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 click every time mm -hmm. they log in. And tons of people fell for it, right? It was only like 47 minutes, but they, people got keys just completely wiped out from, from that standpoint. Oh, it was man. a very successful attack. And this isn't like somebody typed the wrong address in. This was people that were using their bookmarks, which is what you should always do, right? right? And it was a GP redirect. Now, the answer to this and the answer to all of these types of services is multi-factor authentication. You have to use multi-factor authentication and you have to keep your keys local. But there isn't any two-factor authentication on my Ether wallet. Am I correct? No, but if you were using a Ledger wallet, that is two-factor because okay. you have to put a pin on the device itself, right? Right. And you're not, it's not stored in a local file, and it's certainly not a local file that's being transmitted in the clear, right? At, at the very, very least, it would have been over HTTPS, but they was alerting to the fact that they didn't have that set up correctly either. So there were a few ways. Now, here's the thing. This is not one of those scenarios where we should blame the users. The, the blame relies almost completely 100% on the DNS provider, uh, which has taken steps to remedy this, as well as AWS or Amazon Web Services, which has also taken steps to remedy this. Uh, there are technologies out there like DNSSEC, DNSSEC, 
uh, is a really secure version of DNS, right? Uh, that would have prevented this. So in this particular scenario, it wasn't the user's fault. However, I don't think anyone got refunds either. So <laughs> despite the fact they got that they from this, oh, I, I want to say it was like thirty-seven million dollars, but we Holy really need to look it up. Yeah, so I really, I want to, I want, we need to make sure we look that up. But, <laughs> but at any rate, so that's, the, but that's an example of this. Now, here's the thing about, okay, well, how do I prevent that, or what can I do, et cetera? When the breach was discovered, people rushed to the site to try to see if they were being affected, and they were erroneously logging into the wrong site. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> so just think about that for a second, and and think about the fact that you probably want to wait until you know for a fact that it's actually clear. And in order to make yourself a smaller target, okay, and I know no one listening to this podcast would do this, but I see people post their Blockfolio all the time, okay? They screenshot their Blockfolio, and I'm talking about massive crypto celebrities. I'm not going to name anybody, okay? But they're either trying to show off or brag, or maybe they just don't know any better, and they're actually posting the amounts of each asset that they hold, right? That's insane. You cannot do that. You really shouldn't tweet about which assets you hold, but most certainly not how much of each one you do. Because if somebody knows you have 65 Bitcoin and they know where you live, okay, it is not inconceivable if you believe that that Bitcoin is going to hit $100,000 in the next five years, it is not inconceivable to think that they may show up at your house, okay, and actually force you to give them those private keys. And by the way, if that happens, give it to them. All right. Just don't never, ever mess around with health and safety over, you know, a shop 256 key because it's never, ever worth it. Right. But point is, is you don't want your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, and most definitely no one on LinkedIn or Twitter to know how much or how little of any crypto assets that you hold. If, if they do know that, you're making yourself more of a target and you could be suspect uh, subject to all kinds of attacks. Very good advice, sir. I want to go inside these companies really quick. I want to go inside Coinbase. I want to go inside my crypto, my Ether wallet. And for these companies to pass certain regulations, check certain boxes to get, say, insurance on their crypto or run like a bank or operate in a certain way, they have to basically, yeah, check certain boxes that they have certain operations in, operations in place to secure that or to ensure that they have taking precautions to protect your crypto or, you know, have their cold wallets or what have you. You would think so. And by the way, everyone (laughs) thought that about Mt. Gox. Mt. Gox had three breaches, right? And everyone assumed, surely they're fixed now. 100% they're fixed now. They've got a nice little certificate on their website. They couldn't possibly still be vulnerable. So I I read, wait, I read uh, from Coinbase and, and Coinbase articles that for them to get the insurance for their crypto that they hold on the exchange, and for you to be insured in some way impossible, that they have to follow some kind of uh, process that to get this insurance by the either the insurance companies or the the government or whoever. Correct or no? They, and, they, and they Coinbase, and Coinbase does right. So Coinbase is FDIC insured okay. on the fiat holdings that you have. Okay? okay, so they actually have federal insurance on your USD. I don't mean your tether. I don't mean your stable coin. I mean your actual USD. In their uh, assets, they're insured there. They also have insurance on the custodial holdings, which is a tiny percent, okay, of the non-cold storage uh, crypto that they have, right? Okay. So it's a tiny percent. It's in their it's in their public reports, etc. Mm-hmm. And Coinbase is actually one of the more regulated companies because it's literally in San Francisco and it's got board of directors and it's relatively public, etc. But think about this for a second. Binance, on the other hand, is insanely more profitable. They move way, way, way more assets, right? And they are subject to zero auditing, zero guarantees around what they do or do not do from a best practices standpoint, whether they do criminal background checks on their employees, whether they do any drug testing on their employees, whether people can be fired if they, if they act in unethical ways, all, anything offshore, all bets are off, right? So I would not disparage Coinbase, and I really don't even mean to disparage Binance, because for all I know, they're a 100% clean shop, right? The problem is, is we don't have that transparency. We can't see their third-party audits are not published. Bitfinex is the best example of this. Bitfinex had this massive, massive question mark put around them last year. How much tether do you have? How much real assets do you have? Are you legitimately just making this stuff up? And they hired a third-party audit company who they then very suddenly fired three months later, right? That's not exactly the most confident-inducing behavior uh, for those of us that, no, that, it is that, that 
live in X, right? So in order to be really, really sure, okay, remember Enron also passed compliance checks. Okay, MCI WorldCom in their heyday also passed compliance checks. Equifax, who was supposed to be protecting every bit of personal information for all of us, was woefully insecure, and they had passed compliance checks as well. This is why zero trust is so important. You cannot trust any third party. You can trust the, the notion of decentralization, and you can trust open source code if it's properly audited, but at the end of the day, you need to be holding those keys. All right. So, last question before we go into general questions, and I start asking, and I want to ask you about, you know, your the, the crypto space in general. Are you for or against regulations in the crypto space? Well, so this is, a, of course, a very, very uh, hot topic because depending on what your favorite crypto asset is, uh, everybody always wants to say that other crypto assets are securities, right? That's always the big. That's always the thing is is, is whether something is a security. Mm-hmm. We're in a really weird place right now because. Uh, at least in North America, we have gotten serious, ambiguous statements from both the CFTC, uh, the SEC, other government bodies, even things like the New York Stock Exchange are sending very unclear messages about what is this? Is this a currency? Is this a security? Is this a commodity? What is this? And in my opinion, we have something that is all of the above and none of the above. And usually, when you try to regulate something that is brand spanking new, okay, you can either starve it to death and actually kill innovation, or you can force that innovation to happen outside of the areas that are regulated, which is like something like uh, forcing people to go to Malta or Panama or even Puerto Rico in some cases, right? You know, so it's a real fine line that you have to cross. And I think from a regulatory standpoint, there are certain groups of people that do want to be regulated, okay? So, for example, Private companies that are getting patents and they're doing things, you know, in this space are saying we want responsible regulation. We want things like, you know, minimal trust, because the thing about this is, Matthew, a tiny, tiny, tiny percent of the world's population owns crypto assets. Okay, Mm -hmm. and if we really want adoption, if adoption is truly important to us, we need to come forward with something that people can trust their grandma's 401k in. Right. And that could be ETFs. It could be exchange funds. It could be, you know, index funds. It could be all kinds of different things. But if we have zero regulation on it, if it's still the wild, wild west out there, it's going to be very difficult to reach 10%, 15%, or even 20% adoption. So in that case, in that answer, I really am in favor of responsible regulation. I just don't want it to starve out innovation. Right on, man. Who do you respect in the crypto space? Who do you follow on Twitter? listen to when they are on TV or talk or do a podcast? Yeah, so I guess if I was going to think about kind of the people that I pay the most attention to, um, starting from kind of the Bitcoin maximalists going towards the almost the no-coiners, so to speak, I think I would have to start with Pierre Richard and Michael Goldstein from the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute. Okay, Okay. These guys are about as Bitcoin maximalist as you could be, right? I mean, that's, they're, they're, they're capital M on the maximalism uh, side and really good writings, re- really good following on Twitter. Safadin Amus, who has the new book, The Bitcoin Standard, which is a Austrian economic view of the history of money and the history of Bitcoin. And that's uh, a really, really good book, the, uh, the Bitcoin Standard. And then, of course, Andreas Antonopoulos. And I sometimes say that word wrong, but he's <laughs> one of the absolute most down-to-earth guys, you know, ever in that space. And he, he's an expert on pretty much everything, right? If you talk to him, you're just sort of in awe uh, of the knowledge level. On Twitter, I follow Gary Leland and Tony Sakala, the Crypto Cousins, mm-hmm. because they have a podcast. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Aaron Paul and ICO 101, because I do follow the projects that he talks about. I'm a real big fan of Dimitrik Marcello and Dr. Corey Petty. They're on the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Listen to that one a lot. And then I have a couple that are going to probably surprise a lot of listeners. And and maybe you haven't heard of these folks before because they're not necessarily household names in the crypto space. But I follow Matthew Green from John Hopkins. Okay, He's a professor of cryptography. Uh, He's also written some zero trust protocols that can be used like in Zcash, for example. Right. Uh, And he's somewhat of a critic of classic Bitcoin maximalism. But his math is absolutely stellar. I follow a guy by the name of Dr. David Gerard, who is about the most anti-Bitcoin as you could ever imagine. He wrote a book called Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, and he is a <laughs> vocal critic of every bit of hype around Bitcoin, et cetera. And I think 
you know, especially if you're a noob, especially if you're relatively new to this, it's really, really important to do your own research. And doing your own research means leaving the echo chamber of what you already believe. Right. So you kind of have to venture out. If you're a Litcoin fan, right, you have to venture into the Stellar community. And if you're a Stellar fan, you need to venture into the XRP community. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Bitcoin maximalist, you should probably follow some people that are skeptical or distrustful of Bitcoin. Right. And in my case, I also follow a very, very brilliant mathematician, uh, David Schwartz, who is a polarizing figure because he's the chief technology officer for Ripple. Mm-hmm. But he has some of the most brilliant writings um, that I've ever seen. And then if I just really just don't want to be thinking in terms of heavy cryptography thought, okay, of course I'm going to listen to Crypto 101. That's a given. But if I really just want to laugh, um, Jay Caspian Kang and Aaron Lambert have a podcast called Coin Talk that is literally the funniest podcast that I've ever heard. I mean, it, I, I usually laugh like 20 or 30 times just listening to them because they're, they're, they do not take any of this seriously, but they're an absolute blast to listen to. Hey, man, thank you very much for that. You gave me a lot of new people to follow on Twitter and a lot of new podcasts to listen to. But Crypto 101 is also geared for the noob, getting into the space. We're labeling a way that this could be the first interview that they listen to. You gave a lot of advice on security so far. But what other advice would you give to the noob just getting into the space now? Well, I have to say multi-factor authentication twice because I just want to make sure that everyone understands how important it is to use multi-factor authentication everywhere they can. But in addition to that, I would say if you're really onboarding and you're really trying to learn things, okay, don't feel like you have to jump out there and start trading. And you certainly don't have to jump out there and start investing. You can spend some time absorbing, absorbing. Now, in the crypto space, we will call that Dior or do your own research, Mm -hmm. right? Do your own research means don't believe people when they tell you that IOTA is the next big thing. Don't believe people when they tell you that I found an ICO, but it's only going to be this price for like 15 more seconds, right? Do your own research means go find information, pro and con. God forbid, read the white paper, but more importantly, read the criticism of the white paper. Hmm. Because if you actually go to the Reddit subreddits for a given cryptocurrency, you will find people that will dissect that white paper, right. find all kinds of errors in it. And most people will look at the white paper. They'll at least open it on their, on their, in their Adobe Acrobat, right? But most people don't take the time to absorb that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always that way. Then I say follow the right people, okay? Follow the right podcast, but trust no one. <laughs> trust right. no one because any person can lead you a stray and any person that could rip you off. And and I would say as a newbie, the one thing that you really need to do is pay attention to people that you agree with, pay attention to people you don't agree with, and spend more time reading and less time trading. Ray, brother, it's awesome to talk to you today because, again, we've been tweeting back and forth, talking on DMs back and forth for over a year. And I, we have never met face-to-face or had a conversation. So it was really fun to talk to you, get to know you a little bit. And damn, man, you just totally just dropped a mic and gave a lot of people a, 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 a naked hand taking notes about security right now. Well, thank you very much. This has been fun. Before I ask this last question, tell people wh- where to find you again and tell everybody a little bit about what's going on in October. October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Uh, not just for cryptocurrency, but across all industries, right? Uh, this is the time when people spend time being more aware of their OPSEC and of their PERSEC, et cetera, and also educating about some of the evolving threats that are out there. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can find me at rayredacted.com, uh, which will redirect you to at Ray Redacted, that's R-E-D-A-C-T-E-D. Red, red flag, uh, red Twitter. flag, a redirect. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So just go to at, at Ray Redacted on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find me there as well, um, as well as some of the normal places on Telegram, etc. But if you follow me on Twitter, you can find that. Um, and throughout October, uh, we will both be tweeting some things about best practices around security. I just signed you up for that, Matthew. So Absolutely. we'll at least be retweeting that. And if we get enough questions about stuff, we might even reconvene and answer some security questions. Cool, man. That'd be awesome. So as you heard from him, please ask us questions right out to us, Crypto101podcast.com, contact button, send, us, send me an email, or DM him on Twitter and ask any questions you like. And if we do get a lot of questions, we're going to hop back on in October to talk all about security. Ray, what songs would you like to put on the Spotify playlist? Oh, oh, this is good. This is a good question. I can't believe I'm finally answering this question. So uh, last month, Eminem dropped a, a CD called Kamikaze. It was yep. a big surprise. But his song, Not Alike, includes a reference to everyone's using Bitcoin. I'm a huge fan of Chris Cornell and Audio Slave. 
So my second song would be uh, an audio slave song, probably Shadow of the Sun, which is an absolute classic. Um, and then my third one, because I do some coding in Python and I do write some uh, applications, etc. cetera. Uh, my third one is Childish Gambito Heartbeat. It is the absolute best song to write code to. It is such an angry, motivational, you know, really pissed off kind of a song that I'll put it on repeat if I'm, if I'm writing code all night. Ray Redacted, thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101, and we hope to see you again with people asking questions in October, and we hop on again. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Ray, if you're listening, thank you very much again for coming on the show. And for everyone else, I know it was a long episode, but it was packed full of great information. The more digital we get in our lives, the more secure we need to get with our digital lives. Also, if you have any security questions, we will hop on and answer all of those questions in another episode. So send us an email, go to crypto101podcast.com, go to the contact button, send us an email, or you can send Ray a direct message on his Twitter. Link is in the description. So I hope you took notes and I hope that we move to the future and keep ourselves and our digital selves safe. In future episodes, we have ETF 101. What does it mean and why is it important for Bitcoin? And we also have Masternodes 101 and what does it do for a network? And if you want to follow up to this episode, please go to Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron on YouTube and I will post that a couple days after this show. Like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices and CryptoNews.com if you want crypto news. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next episodes of Crypto 101. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.